The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the Tech Savvy Lawyer page and host of the Tech Savvy Lawyer page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in their area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned taking advantage of technology in their legal work and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their client, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guests to provide their three top best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea, and along the way, you may learn something new. My next guest is Dan Sigal, Pennsylvania attorney, speaker, and author covering issues in appellate law, ethics, and technology. Dan came to my attention through his recent webinar through the ABA and his Integrated Technology Services, an attorney tech consulting firm. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you. And so, Dan, uh, tell us about, before we begin, tell us about your tech setup at your office. Uh, well, at my office, we are fully paperless, have been since the office opened in 2005, and we all work on a local server network mm -hmm. uh, using case management software and uh, a seamless system basically that allows us to do all of our practice from start to finish uh, with essentially virtually no paper because you always have some. Right. Uh, and, you know, everyone's got the newest and the best. Well, well, let me ask you, do you use Windows or Mac? Windows. And how do you handle the paper copies? In other words, you, you scan it, you get it electronically. But when you get those paper copies, do you send it back to the client? Do you shred them? Do you hang on to them? Uh, the answer sort of yes to all of that. If it's something that's an original or that we need to keep, a fee agreement, a medical authorization, a document like that, mm -hmm. we will maintain that. Usually all of our files are manila folders because we don't have much paper. If they're right. documents that we're going to just scan and we don't need them we will either send them to a client or we will put them in a pile where they will be securely shredded uh, so we do both primarily but we may just in many cases just receive it and shred it uh, because we don't need it um, we'll maintain copies for example of briefs and transcripts even though we review transcripts electronically we keep the paper transcripts until a case is over. Um, and a certainly uh, briefs where we get hard copies, we keep till I'm done oral argument, the cases are decided and over. But when we're done with a file, we know that there is nothing in a physical file that we need to maintain so we can shred the entire file. Uh, so it makes life much easier. And if I may ask, and I, I apologize, I don't want to go too, too much on a tangent, but 
Do, do you have a, like a special uh, clause in your engagement letters say, allowing you just to shred things that you know that you typically that you typically shred at your office? Yes, we have clauses in our engagement letters that talk about a variety of things. We store data in the cloud, mm -hmm. uh, that we are paperless, uh, that if you're communicating electronically by cell phone or email or uh, that your communication may be intercepted. Those items are all in our fee agreements or engagement letters, depending on the way we're uh, hired. So the clients know that we explained that to them. Uh, but the good part is that even though we're very high tech, when we meet with clients in the office, we're doing it at my conference table with paper and pen. And mm -hmm. then that gets scanned in. So the clients never see the technology, right. but we tell them about it. And those are the best practices. Uh, I edited the book for the Pennsylvania Bar Institute called Fee Agreements in Pennsylvania. And in that book, we have sample clauses that, like those that we put in there so that lawyers know what their engagement letters or fee agreements should include depending mm -hmm. on the nature of their practice. Excellent, excellent. I, I will certainly post a link to that book. And you know, I find that very interesting and informative. And I think the listener will too. But let's go on to the questions that we've got set for today. Um, my first question is, and I'm going to uh, appreciate three answers from you. Uh, given COVID and sheltered at home orders, what three software programs are attorneys underutilizing while working from home? The answer is the same ones they're underutilizing in their office. Um, okay. Microsoft Office, mm -hmm. um, which is primarily used, but if they're still WordPerfect, uh, <laughs> would be WordPerfect Suite. It's, it's still a great piece of software. It just doesn't play as nicely as, as, as does like Microsoft uh, Word. Um, mm -hmm. Adobe Acrobat, and believe it or not, Windows, because lawyers don't realize the features of Acrobat and Office and really underutilize those. But with Windows, they haven't learned how customizing it, updating it, uh, and using features that aren't as well known really make them more efficient. Well, could you give us some examples? Okay. Windows, uh, I'll start there. Okay. Uh, most people have never properly set up their desktops. They've never proper to include the icons they want and not include uh, things they don't need. Uh, so that's a basic uh, part of it. They've never really customized uh, their other programs either, Microsoft Office or Acrobat or whatever, but they don't know what the program can do. So for lots of lawyers, you know, uh, they buy other software to do what's already uh, available in their software. Windows can connect directly with many uh, people's office uh, computers without the need for a go to my PC or one of those mm -hmm. programs, but people don't know it. Today, I was writing or working on a book we published called the ultimate guide to Adobe Acrobat, uh, my paralegal and I were writing the second edition. So I was taking the first edition to move it and use it, but I needed to rename all of the chapters so we could make sure we're always working on the right files. Well, 
Windows years ago had this wonderful feature called Power Toys that was a, an add-on that did all kinds of really neat stuff. Well, the new version of Power Toys, when Microsoft decided to bring it back after uh, five, ten years of no longer mm -hmm. having it, and it has a feature called Power Rename. Well, all I had to do was highlight the files, uh, right-click on them and go Power Rename, and I was able to rename the files exactly the way I wanted. I didn't have to do it on 10 or 15 or 20, whatever number of files it was. Actually, it was 25. I just did it in one right click. It gave me the names the way I wanted them. Of course, it also meant that I didn't, didn't need to use the software I used to purchase that did that. Right. But it's great because power toys are partly back. Um, I don't know that they're ever going to bring back all the features, but it did lots of little stuff. And even though that wasn't a big deal, it saved me time. Microsoft Office. Uh, lawyers don't even realize that I can take an email from a client or as I did with you when we set this up, I take your email and I drag it to the calendar icon and it opens up and there's an appointment with all of the communication or email we had between us mm -hmm. all in there and I just fill in the date and I'm done. Things like that. Um, you know, most people think of Acrobat as a PDF maker and maybe to do some OCRing and editing, but mm -hmm. does a, a lot more than that. Uh, and lawyers, you know, don't recognize that partly because they never sort of got trained, but it's the same thing they're not using as well at home. Uh, it, it, it shouldn't change uh, from home to office in terms of what you're using other than maybe what gets you connected to your office. So can you recommend any, if you will, boot camps that lawyers could attend that focus on teaching attorneys, you know, Word, Acrobat, you know, et cetera? In terms of boot camps, I don't know of many. I know there are companies who do that generally, and mm -hmm. in most cases, that's fine. Um, there have been programs that we have done through the American Bar Association that are the basics. We did mm -hmm. a series last fall, but it was only, it was one hour each of Outlook, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, I believe. Uh, so mm -hmm. you have those. Um, and then, you know, there, there used to be boot camp programs from one vendor I used to hear about, but I don't know if they still do them. But heck, basic online programs will help you a little. The problem is you want them to be able to ask you to show you the things that you as a lawyer needs, not just the right. average user, because there's always, there's some differences in what we do versus what, you know, the, the non-lawyer does. <laughs> true. Very true. Well, some of the stuff you were talking about kind of leads into my second question. Uh, what three simple workflows can attorneys use today? Um, when I thought about that question, the first one is what I'll call integrations and customizations of Outlook. Uh, what I mean by that is, for example, rules, which take and move email automatically. So I'm on a variety of listservs. All of my listserv email is automatically marked red and moved into the folder for the relevant listserv so mm -hmm. that I don't have to 
deal with them in my inbox until I need them. Uh, also, you know, as I mentioned before, the dragging and dropping of an email onto a calendar or a task icon mm -hmm. saves you a lot of steps in either creating tasks there or in our case, if we create a task or a calendar item there, they get automatically uploaded or synchronized with our case management software. So I'm doing it in one step. Things like that. You can also, you know, anything that comes to me that relates to bills, finances, is automatically copied and moved into the accounting folder for my office administrator. Mm -hmm. so I don't have to even think about it. I know that if I get a bill from American Express, that right. it's going to be in her folder without me even having to like look or think, whatever. So those are those types of things. And, and where can people learn how to do that? Again, getting training. Uh, it really does make um, an enormous difference uh, learning what you need um, and what can be done. Uh, you know, it really makes an, a tremendous difference because there's so many of these features mm -hmm. um, and no one uses software at its full capacity. Right. Uh, but there are, but most of us use it far below because we don't know, we've never been trained, and unless you're geeky like me, uh, you don't sort of explore it. Um, and that's the distinction more than anything. It's, you know, as I tell people, any piece of software you have, you should play with it, which means look at every one of the menu lists, you know, the file and mm -hmm, edit. Mm -hmm. Look at everything on all of those tabs and see what's there because you're going to be surprised at how much it does. Go ahead, I'm sorry. The second was, you know, uh, a feature that was added to Adobe Acrobat, I'll say about three, four years ago. And whenever I talk about it, people don't even know it's there. And, but many of, but it automates a ton of things. There are, it's a feature, it's two parts of it. And it's in what's called the action wizard in Acrobat. And there are custom commands, which are automated commands. So, for example, you can add a watermark and have it added in a specific way, like mm -hmm. add a draft watermark to a document. Um, so once, let's say you've created the template, to, you've created a thing that puts draft across your document. Well, what people normally then have to do is they save it and they go in to edit and then add header and feature to find the add watermark, uh, go up and click the add the watermark and then pick the saved draft and hit OK. Mm -hmm. Well, a custom command does all of those steps in one. You just, you've saved the watermark or the header or the whatever. It could be rotate pages, delete pages. It could be, you name it. It's got a ton of different things. Reduce file size. And all you have to do is click one button and it is done. And you can do that for, uh, you know, all different types of things. Not many people don't realize it's, it, it's there. It saves a lot mm -hmm. of time. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't save what you do and, and read, every time create your new watermark or whatever, uh, you waste a lot of time. Then there are actions, 
which combine a variety of different uh, commands and Acrobat features. So I have an action that when I click it, I, it knows that it's going to be run on the document that is open. I could have it run on documents in a folder. I could tell it manually what documents. And then it's going to do whatever the series of commands are. So I could tell it to go in, add a watermark that says draft, add a header that's or footer that says mm. attorney-client privilege, click save it, um, and then have it open up the email to send it. And all I would have to do is fill in whatever I'm going to write to the person, and I'm done. Well, if you think about how many steps would have been involved in that, right? that is an enormous workflow um, improvement, and we use them all the time. The example I gave is one probably that I use the most because if you're sending drafts of documents to clients, uh, you want to put that type of information on there. But it automates it, and you can do so many different things in Actions. I mean, you can have it OCR document. You can do all kinds of different things. You can, you know, uh, you name it. It's it's literally there. Almost any command that most of us are going to use is going to show up. And Excellent. I, Sorry, go ahead. And yeah. I'm going to pull number three out of you. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, we, got Acrobat, we got uh, from, uh, from MS, from Microsoft Office. Yeah. Uh, one more. Yeah, and I was going to say integrating your mobile phone or devices mm -hmm. into your uh, the things you use at home. So I'm using a headset now because it's mm -hmm. more comfortable uh, than, you know, holding a phone to my ear and I right. use me both hands. But I have my phone connected to my laptop because it's they're both Bluetooth. And so right. I can, if the phone rings, it's going to ring and come through there I can make calls depending on you know you can do that based on your laptop setups it allows right. you to integrate parts of your phone system depending on what you have in your office but most people still think of their smartphone or cell phone as just this separate thing and don't realize that you can integrate it and messages and all kinds of the features uh, right on your computer. When I plug my cell phone into my computer, uh, Samsung has this feature called DEX, D-E-X, that mm -hmm. allows it to literally instantly appear on my desktop, and I can actually pretty much use the entire phone on my desktop. Well, it's a lot easier to do that than having to go for it and everything else. Right. So, no, excellent, excellent. Those are some great ideas. Actually, I, I, I'm curious about Dex because I, for the, the blog, I recently got a Samsung um, S20 and I'm trying to learn how to better incorporate it into my, uh, my laptop. Then just uh, plug it in and see if it's, mm -hmm. if it's compatible, it'll pop up and want to set it up automatically. Cool. And it really, I have an S10 Plus and okay. it really didn't work in earlier. I had an S8 Plus and it, it it may have worked. I never got it to work. Gotcha. It works nicely in the S10 Plus, and presumably then it should work just as well in a newer model. Well, with your S10, you have the uh, the dedicated uh, pencil. I have the Plus. I don't have the uh, pencil. 
Oh, oh okay. Uh, so Excuse me. I wanted big. Uh, I didn't want the pencil. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, before we get on to question three, there, there's something I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that you had your own server, which I don't think is typical of a lot of small firms and solo practitioners. Uh, there had been an article that I came across a couple of days ago where it talked about a firm's breach, a firm's data had been breached. Uh, mm -hmm. The culprits had uh, basically published a lot of the, the, the firm's uh, client data, personnel records, et cetera. Um, what caught my eye about this in, in particular, since we, you know, this happens unfortunately too frequently, is that they said that they also had, uh, you know, information on Donald Trump, and if they weren't paid like you know millions of dollars, they were going to let that go. Now again, I, this this is not a political uh, podcast, and it was just the fact that they caught the president's stuff, or they claimed they had the president's stuff. Does but going back to the firm breach, which I think is really the more troubling aspect of this, how do you feel? How do you secure your own personal server? Well, our data is encrypted on the server. Mm -hmm. um, so we have that. All of our backups, both on site and in the cloud, are fully encrypted. Mm -hmm. uh, so that you may want to, you could look at it, um, but you're going to see gibberish. The database uh, file for the case management product we use mm -hmm. is in a proprietary format that, unless you have their software, you're not generally going to be able to access the data. We have both a hardware and a software firewall on our mm -hmm. system. We've actually enhanced the hardware firewall a few times uh, and bought a new one because what is surprising is that firms, uh, we have a, an internet phone system, VoIP, V-O-I-P, yep. and those are often the more, um, desirable targets than anything because they can somehow steal access your phone system and use it to make international calls and oh, wow. somehow monetize that. I don't know exactly how it works, um, but the person who oversees the phone system is a friend whose business that is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he takes care of it, but we've made certain that, you know, we've done as much as we can do in a small firm with advanced you know encryption and everything else uh there's no guarantee anyone if someone wants your data enough it's like if they want to break into your house they'll figure out a way but you've got to take all of the reasonable precautions and you know storing on the cloud isn't perfect either i've represented clients law firms who've had cloud systems breached because of a firewall problem on the cloud so there's no perfect system. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, it seems to come down to what I come across is that encryption, firewalls, and just using reasonable steps to protect your data, um, which I would presume would include passwords, uh, not only for um, accessing various materials, but also your laptops and your phones and desktops, of course. Yeah, there should be passwords on everything. Um, it's easy to encrypt you know, your computers nowadays, mm -hmm. it's, it's like nothing. Um, I'm just looking at my laptop and, you know, you type in encrypt and immediately it has managed BitLocker, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, will secure your data, et cetera. Um, 
And, you know, it's very simple to do. And there's other ways to do it as well. Oh, I, I still come across attorneys who don't password protect their laptops when they're out mm-hmm. and about. And like, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at a bar ethics problem. Yeah. But let's, yeah. let's And the other to, thing, that, just as a footnote to that sure. is, most of the time, there is no reason to store that data on a laptop. When I'm working on things on my laptop, mm-hmm. uh, the client information, most of the time I access it through my office uh, and don't really need to store it when I do. As soon as I'm done, if there's something new, it's transferred back or at the end of the day, and then it's gone. Um, it's not, you shouldn't be keeping you know, files on your laptops the way, you know, we never get rid of anything on our old computers. And, you know, we still have those old files from 20 years ago that you don't even know what they are. So there's very little that if someone got my laptop, the stuff they would see is they're not going to see any confidential client information because I get rid of it. I don't need it there. It's the same as on your cell phone. Uh, I don't even have client phone numbers on there. If I dial them, yeah, it'll be something I dial, but I don't keep their data there because do you really need it? Do you really need a client social security number if you're writing a brief or something? No. So I think people store way too much information offsite. Well, what do you say to the attorney who may not always have reliable internet access and will need that information from time to time. You do it temporarily and you encrypt it. And then as soon as you don't need it, Mm -hmm. you get rid of it. So I actually have a folder where I am storing information for whatever I happen to be working on in my office that Mm -hmm. is clearly only material during the pandemic. And as a result, I know what's on there and I can easily clean it up instantly. Um, And, you know, most of it, I would say 95, 98% of it is not confidential or sensitive. It's information Mm -hmm. that you could find anywhere uh, about a case or something. But I don't keep that information, uh, you know, on the computer because I can't see why I need it or when I'm done with it, um, I, I get rid of it and I'm looking here. It's, it's briefs. It's, I have a folder for you. Um, clients, you know, we sign their wills. Well, good. Their wills, the copies are back in the office. That folder is gone. And, and, and that's typical of most of, most of what's left here is, is information that the vast, vast majority if you got it, so what? Uh, you want to see what a bar association committee did or something? <laughs> Great. God bless you. Um, but, or part of a brief where it's all in a record that's already public. What's the problem? You know, they can get it from gotcha. the court. Big gotcha. deal. They gotcha. can get it from me too. <laughs> well, let me move on to the last question. Uh, what three areas of legal technology will attorneys need to keep an eye on post COVID-19? The first is video conferencing. There are so many articles, some of which are accurate, some of which are not about video conferencing, but as a bottom line on security, you need to make certain 
that your video conferencing with clients is secure, it is encrypted, etc. Um, the National Security Agency, NSA.gov, when you go to their homepage, they did a public paper comparing the security levels of all of the major conferencing apps and the, the information changes, the requirements change, or not the requirements, the specifications change almost daily, especially for some that have gotten more publicity like Zoom. But, no. you know, it's not hard to get an encrypted, um, secure platform, and especially now because it's so competitive. And even during the pandemic, my office transitioned from one platform to another, and, you know, we're able to purchase for $150 a 100-seat license of uh, a very well-known video conferencing, webinar conferencing uh, program that is known to be secure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's the, the, the company that backs it is, is a security company. And NSA says, oh, yeah, it's secure. And, you, you know, that's what you want. And it was $150 prepaid for a year for a hundred licenses. What are you going to oh, do? Wow. That's what lawyers need to think about. What do I want to do um, for security purposes? So that's the first thing is really think about what you're using. And right now the prices are really, really, really inexpensive. I couldn't believe I could get that license for that price. Years ago, that company was charging a fortune. The second is internet security in general. Um, and that means um, really now, since we all were sort of thrown out of our offices for those of us who didn't work remotely primarily, and in many cases, staff and attorneys were not well trained on internet security, cybersecurity, phishing, which is still uh, the number one way that law firms get hacked. And phishing is very sophisticated lately, and um, that's P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Mm -hmm. And so it's really making certain that this your staff knows how to deal with phishing emails. Um, interestingly, in my office, oh, this has got to be a year or more ago, my associate got an email, and she it said it was for me, and she thought it might be. But she also said it didn't sound like me. So rather than respond, she, I think she texted me. I don't think she, I don't know if she emailed me, but she texted me, I think, and said, did you just send me this email? And the answer was no. And then obviously it was deleted, removed, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what people don't think about doing. And she did because she said, it just didn't sound like you. And when you work with people, you know, you know how they write, you know what they do. And right. when it doesn't sound right, you know, it's like food. If it doesn't smell right, you don't want to eat it. Well, if it just doesn't sound right or there's any concern, don't answer, don't click. But I just think training or heightened awareness of cybersecurity is hugely going to be there, especially since I think everyone recognizes that more people are going to be working remotely 
And that's going to mean law firms uh, buying more laptops so that the people don't use their personal ones and setting the security protocols. Well, you know, it's interesting we talk about phishing because when I get those emails, it's like it says it's from my friend, you know, Bob. And like the emails, like, oh, you got to check this link out or just, you know, hey, I'm having some money issues. The first thing I always do is look at the email sender's address. Mm -hmm. And it's usually not, you know, Bob at AOL, but it's Mm -hmm. uh, Prince Charming from wherever uh, dot, you know, whatever. Um, And that's usually, you know, the first clue for me that that is obviously, I should say the second clue, but the second clue for me that, you know, this is not what it is. It should be just junked. I agree, except that now it's easy to disguise those items. And you have to just be so vigilant. Agreed. You know, we look at everything here um, and we try to send, you know, American Express has an email address you can send them to. Very hard for them to investigate. And I know most of the major companies who, you know, do tech who have similar things. But from my perspective, I just don't want my staff clicking on them more than anything. Uh, right. Because once you do, it could be ransomware, it could be whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And those things, you know, they've shut down court systems. So if they're that savvy, they can certainly do uh, a lot of damage to the average law firm that doesn't have a full IT structure the way, you know, the Philadelphia courts did. And they were shut down for months uh, this year because of a cybersecurity issue. Well, I, I think I've pulled two answers out of you. Can I get a third? Yeah. Um, I think what is going to be needed um, is improving people's workflows. Really see getting them, because when you work from home, mm-hmm. work remotely, it is a different experience. I'm not used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm more easily distracted. I'm a little more bored because I'm basically all alone. My wife is upstairs um, and my son still is able to work outside the house. So uh, I get distracted more. So I really need workflows to keep me moving, to streamline my processes so I get as much done. Mm -hmm. And people didn't think about that. Um, You don't need the, there's key logging software and things, but uh, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't use that. I trust my staff, but I think it's just really improving how people do things to get more done so that we're not really focused on, you know, working remotely can be slower. Not everyone has high speed and things. So you're going to need to be able to do things more efficiently to keep up with your, your work um, or whatever work is going to look like after this because I think everyone's going to be a little bit different or most of us. Agreed. Agreed. Well, well, Dan, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I run a law firm where you can find me at my name, which is Daniel middle initial J Sigel S I E G E L.com. I have a, Law, uh, law firm or technology consulting firm for uh, t- uh, for lawyers, primarily for lawyers and small businesses, uh, 
where we train, implement, and do the things that uh, uh, a lot of what I talked about here, and that mm-hmm. is called integrated technology services. But our website is a play on words. It's tech, T-E-C-H, lawyer, L-A-W-Y-E-R-G-Y, tech lawyer G instead of technology.com. And uh, you can find out pretty much everything we do there. Um, or we're, you know, we're on Facebook and we're, I, we're on LinkedIn and those areas. Uh, but those are the easiest ways uh, to find us. Art, do you have a Twitter handle? Yeah, the Twitter is Daniel J. Sigal, just my name. And that covers everything. Uh, I Excellent. wear a bunch of hats and, mm-hmm. you know, you'll also find out what's going on in my local community because I'm an elected <laughs> official here and everything gets tweeted out the same. So people who want to know what I do are going to find it in many different ways. That's one. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Dan. And thank you again for being our guest. Um, oh, my pleasure. And, and uh, I want to thank you, the listener, for joining me on this episode of the Tech Savvy Lawyer Page podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself learn something new, and we'll come back again in about two Tuesdays for another podcast. If you have any other, if you have any ideas about the presentation, questions about what we discussed today, or ideas about future episodes, please leave comments on the blog or email me directly at michaeldj at the techsavvylawyer.page. Have a great day and happy learning. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.